Welcome to the Fitness Nerdcast. I'm your co-host Ryan Smith with fellow coach Stephanie Holbrook, where we get a chance to geek out on all things fitness and bring it to you. First off, things presented here are our opinions developed with over 40 years of combined experience. We are not medical doctors and any information presented here is purely informational. If you'd be interested in working with us, please email us at fitnessnerdspodcast at gmail.com or hop over to our website and blog at fitnessnerdspodcast.com. While you're online, don't forget to rate us on iTunes and like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash fitnessnerdspodcast. Now on with the show. Everybody, welcome to the Fitness Nerds Podcast. This is Coach Stephanie here, and I am here with Dean Tarabanelli. He is the founder and the director director of the Sanctuary um, in Sedona. And um, Dean is just an amazing guy. I found Dean through some folks I met who credit him and his facility for changing their life. And I can tell you from seeing um, the difference. These people had amazing results of their quality of life, infinitely better, um, their zest for living, um, great, their joy, amazing. So um, enough all about, you know, me gushing. So uh, Dean is actually a very humble guy, so which is makes him even more spectacular. So Dean, can you uh, tell about your your history that led you to found the sanctuary? Hi, Stephanie. Yes, I can. Thank you. And, you know, let's just, even before we begin, um, the sanctuary itself, is a, it's a holistic addiction recovery center. And I think we can talk a little bit about what addiction is and who it affects and all the other kinds of addiction other than uh, chemical addiction and so forth. And our center is holistic, and I know that in, in your show, that's going to resonate with people and why that's so important to work holistically. And addiction is just one uh, symptom of underlying issues that many, many people have. So in, in my own journey of uh, arriving at the sanctuary, um, I began using uh, marijuana at age 12. And I don't have any memory of my life prior to age 12, so I have no idea why. I, I, uh, I know that I was from a, you know, a, an average middle-class family. My parents cared about me. There was no uh, abuse that I know of, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I find myself uh, smoking copious amounts of marijuana as a very young teenager, moving into alcohol, uh, moving eventually into opiate pills that I were prescribed. That led to heroin, led to crack cocaine. Uh, this was a 30-year progression. And during that time, I, uh, I was able to cope. Of course, we all begin our addiction and it feels good. Uh, we're looking for something to fill some need in ourselves. And when we begin to take drugs, they feel good and eventually they turn on us. So uh, in my journey, I have been in the double digits of treatment centers. I've been in some of the best treatment centers in the United States. I've been in some of them for months on end. And I can tell you, Stephanie, that I've worked hard in every single one of those centers. I wanted to get better. I wanted to not hurt myself. I wanted to find out uh, why I was doing these things 
and how I could stop doing them so I could get on with my life because I had a lot of people that I cared about and that cared about me. I was a pretty successful guy. And so I wanted to get on top of this. So I worked super hard in all my treatment experiences. And uh, I would follow directions to the T right up to the time that I relapsed. And this happened again and again and again. And I would go to treatment again and again. And then I would go to outpatient and intensive outpatient and tried medication protocols and um, you name it. I was in 12-step men's groups, self-help. Uh, I traveled all over the world looking for healers and things for this. And uh, I would find myself right back at it. And what was interesting is I noticed that I wasn't the only one having that problem. I've talked to other therapists. Uh, Josh Matthews is a another therapist who I've interviewed on this podcast. And he said that they're not stellar. The numbers of addiction recovery are, are not really that pretty. Or not, well, but go on about your, uh, I don't mean Well, I think statistics, you know, statistics can look all kinds of ways. If you look at the statistics um, as um, for our economy, for example, you know, some people might say, gosh, we're expanding, whatever. Statistics can be molded to look all kinds of ways. I think when people walk into uh, treatment, they'll get to their first group and the counselor say, look around, because only, you know, one of you, if there's 10 there, will make it. Um, so that's probably about a, a, a positive number. And the last research that I did is some years back. And what was the, the, the statistic then was the people that went to treatment, there's about a 5% success rate. The people that went to AA was about a 5% success rate. And the people that had spontaneous remission, that was also a 5% success rate. And spontaneous remission just means, hey, one day I wake up and I say, you know what, I'm done, and I really stay done. So there's a lot of published numbers about statistics, and I think, Stephanie, at the end of the day, and, and your listeners will probably uh, resonate with this, you know, success is what is just as individualized as people's lives and people's treatment and people's addictions. So, for example, if we have two people that leave treatment, one person takes a very conservative life approach and follows everything and, you know, doesn't make too many changes and, you know, doesn't deal with other big issues and, you know, a year later he's still sober. Okay, that's that's one form of success. And then we have another person that uh, might get out and then go face tackle some big challenges in their life and deal with some big core issues that they have and keep doing deep work on themselves and look at their interpersonal relationships and are their jobs serving them and what changes do they need to make not only to stay sober but to be vital and alive. And let's say that that person might relapse uh, or slip once or twice during that year but at the end of the year is still successful but has really gone out at a a limb and and worked hard and made a lot of other changes in their lives. Who's more successful? Yeah, that's. I mean, it's a variable. It's not. It's a variable. Exactly right. right. No. Um. So, how is the sanctuary different, and why do I hear so many reports from people I know who've gone there who just rave about your program? Well, <clears throat> I think that all of these programs, you know, that are out there, and what's interesting. Uh, Treatment has become sort of this consolidated, very large business model, and there are treatment centers springing up all over the place. So obviously, 
um, there's something else that needed to happen. So what I noticed was when I was in all of my treatment experiences and what was so interesting, and I didn't realize this until the end, you know, paying attention, and I, I spent about 20 years in treatment, off and on in the various kinds, and I mean, I've been in therapy, and 20, so this is 20 years of my life, and I was paying very close attention, and at the same time going around to different kinds of healing modalities worldwide, and while I was in treatment, I realized that nobody was changing. Nobody was getting, nobody's getting what they needed. So I realized something else needed to happen. And it occurred to me, it's like, okay, so I'm going to 12-step meetings and I, I hear people that have been sober for 20, 30 years and they say, you know, I'm an alcoholic and my problem is my alcoholism. And, and I wondered, you know, when does a person get to stop blaming their current life situation on something that happened 30 years ago, like that identity um, and how we get wrapped up in these identities. And and I, I wondered, you know, when is a person just having uh, life's issues like everybody else? Right. And we can't blame it on the fact that I was, an, you know, a victim of addiction. Right. So the way that the sanctuary is different is that we actually work holistically. And... Right now, everywhere around the world, except for the United States, but it is catching on, uh, the correlation between the body and the mind is is a given in their scientific approach, their medical approach. And so, you know, there's a, a big correlation between how we feel mentally and how we feel physically. And what we do is we really break that down. You know, we have a body uh, this thing, what's interesting about the body, there's not one cell in your body, Stephanie, that was there when you were born. Not That's one. Every seven years, you're a brand new person. You're a brand new person. So the fact is that our cells are being born every day and die every day. Mm -hmm. So there's something called cellular memory. There's Trauma is stored in the body, mm -hmm. just the same way that it's stored in the psyche. A good book about that is... Uh... That Bat Ross Child's The Body Remembers. Have you heard of that? I have not heard of that. Oh, it's a good. But book. there's, but a, it's there's exactly that. Yeah. And and so you know, so we have to work on the body, getting these issues out of the body, uh, helping it to release cellular memory. Um, then we have a mind. You know, this mind that uh, we're also connected to. Well, what's so interesting about the mind is that addiction, depression, anxiety, um, trauma. They're all stored in the limbic brain. This is not in the conscious mind. So it's in the limbic brain is unconscious. So something triggers one of these limbic brain traumatic memories. It takes over our neurophysiology and puts us right back in that same place and is unconscious to us. So many times, you know, you'll ask an addict or you'll ask people why they're depressed or why they why they went out and drank, and they'll say, you know, I don't know. And you know what? They don't know. And so everybody scratches their head and gets mad at them. But the reason they don't know is because it's in the unconscious mind. Right. So, that's the reptile part of your brain. Yeah. And, and so we have to access that and work there if we want to heal. You know, it's like the, the unconscious mind is like the hard drive where all this data is stored. And the conscious mind is actually um, processes very little information in the whole brain. So our program is all about these limbic brain uh, memories. Uh, 
we keep on going with this holistic model and you know we have a soul what's so interesting everybody hears the word soul um, we suspect it's important if anybody's ever been to 12-step or recovery they hear people refer to the whole and the soul you know what, what is this soul and what is the whole and how do we placate this how do we fill this hole and so what's interesting about the soul, just like the body has certain ways that we interface with it through touch and nutrients and food, that's how we interact with the body. The mind, we interact with it through ideas and emotions. That's the food for the mind. And then the soul works through a whole different way of creativity, ritual, and ceremony. So worldwide, there have been... Uh, ceremonies to commemorate things. Even in our culture, we get married and have graduations, all that through ceremonies. Right. Those are soul things. Right, why don't they're we, anchors. Why don't right. we do that? It, it's exactly right. right. And so a rite of passage, for example, um, when people don't go through rites of passage, you know, a, a man my age, you know, when stressed, behaves like an 18-year-old. So these are the realms of the soul, and that's where, to be honest with you, a lot of people are suffering from something called soul sickness. And soul sickness is something that stalks us. It's this thing where we wonder who we are and what we're doing here and what this all means and why why this, why me, what am I supposed to do? Um, those are all soul issues. Um, the last component of our program is the human energy system. Um, people call it the energy body uh, there's a whole field of science called energy medicine around this. Oh, I love that. And, and so, you know, the humans, you have a, an electrical system in your body just like your house. And when it is functioning well, um, the, the whole system, your body, your psyche, your mind, all have a far greater chance of uh, functioning efficiently. And then when you now, Stephanie, look at issues... Well, when we have an issue that's physical, it affects us mentally, it affects us on a soul level, it affects us on an energetic level, and vice versa. So it just goes to, for us, uh, to be a no-brainer as to why we have to work holistically. You know, did you know that you produce more serotonin in your gut than you do your head? Actually, you have more brain cells in your gut than in your head. But yes, uh, yeah. you're, you're more, you think from your gut. Sorry, it's folks. So, <laughs> yeah. It's an interesting, so that's a very interesting thing. In the 80s, um, the Prozac and Paxil and these SSRIs were all about serotonin. Everybody has serotonin deficiency, serotonin problem. You know, there is some controversy around that whole sort of science, but nonetheless, let's say that we do. Well, if it's true that we manufacture more of that in our gut, then any program that isn't focused on the gut is missing a gigantic part of wellness and oh, yeah. addiction recovery. So this whole thing about serving pristine food is not a luxury like some people think it's some kind of luxury thing. This is a necessity if you want to feel better. Yeah, having good quality food. And on the Fitness Nerds podcast, we talk about food quality and your um, microbiome quite a bit. So um, our listeners would know, like, hey, we, you know, that's a huge component in health. And it's a huge component in mental health. And we can, we can throw the word addiction, right, couple it up with codependence, couple it up with depression, anxiety, the things that everybody out there is feeling in one way or another at some time in their life or another. So we have to look at not 
the addiction itself, but why? Why do people do this? Why am I depressed? So an antidepressant doesn't treat the root of your depression. So rather than look at some of the, the aspects of our lives that need attention, we numb out. And that's, that's just medicine, and no criticism of medicine. You know, the medicine, medical system is, is taxed, it's stressed, it's underfunded, even though we spend by far the most of anybody on the planet, and we're, I think, 33rd in the world yeah, for health care. It's, it's not pretty. And so, you know, there's, there's just something else that needs to happen, and there's something else that's possible, and that's what we bring to the table. So um, I'm here to tell anybody that's listening that there's a lot of science pointing to the fact that addiction, which is right now classified as an incurable, chronic, lifelong brain disease, uh, that you can actually recover from that. Um, how It seems amazing to me, like, um, and maybe this is my, my judgment on things, um, it probably is, that the medical system or you know, prescribing prescription medications, if you say it's incurable, then it's like perpetuates the problem of being incurable. Like, well, you can't be cured, so let's just try to to placate it or or manage it and make it like, instead of thinking, um, you know, being cured means that's sort of a, that's a finite problem. So if you're cured, then you have other, you have infinite, you know, time after the cure to live your life. But if if it's a finite problem, you're forced to the patient and and the system that per, promotes that as an um, you know an incurable problem. You don't look for solutions because you've made that assumption in the beginning. Yeah, I think Stephanie, the uh, a word that your listeners might want to Google is the word iatrogenesis. And iatrogenesis actually means death by medicine. And medicine, right now, they're deciding it, it's it's not known exactly whether it's the first, second, or third leading cause of death in the United States right now is medicine. And so uh, this is not about some kind of conspiracy or, or some neglect or whatever. It's about the system itself. So when we think about death by medicine, the very simple one is staph infection. Right now, 40% of staph infections are impervious to all uh, antibiotics. So uh, that means a person goes into the hospital for some kind of procedure, they get staph infection, and they could die. So that's an iatrogenic uh, a- action there. And so death being the third leading cause, of, or iatrogenesis, medicine being the third leading cause of death, hey, Take that into your consciousness. Bring that into your awareness that you're the one that has to take responsibility for what's happening for you. Right. That we can't, in the same way that, you know, 20 years ago, we could walk into our doctor and we trusted them completely and just kind of handed over our well-being to them. Um, we can't do that anymore. And that statistic just proves why. And a lot of, a lot of medicine, again, for whatever reason... Um, it's just there's a lot of bias towards pharmaceuticals right now. The pharmaceutical industry, if you look at the Fortune 500, um, the top producing uh, Fortune 500 companies are pharmaceuticals, and they outproduce the rest of the other you know, 470 uh, by an exponential number. So there's a lot of uh, 
a lot of influence in pharmaceuticals. And hey, you know, again, this is not a criticism of pharmaceuticals. There's a lot of great drugs right. out there. And, you know, I think that listeners can uh, be on the lookout when somebody says, you know, you're going to be on this the rest of your life. Because I don't know that that's how medicine uh, was initially intended. It's, it's more to be an intervention, not a lifestyle. So I think when we determine that medicine, I'm going to be on something the rest of my life, means that I don't trust my body, nature, God, yeah. to heal. And so, you know, for all the people that are kind of biblical scholars out there, and, and I'm certainly not one of them, but there is a quote somewhere that says, with God, all things are possible. Mm -hmm. And so it doesn't say, you know, with God, um, most things are possible. It says all things are possible. And I can tell you from myself, my own personal experience, that, um, you know, I had a $200,000 a year opiate addiction, um, taking 100 Percocet a day Holy for five or six years. That is insane, Dean. I'm so happy that you live so I could meet you. Uh, yeah, um, <laughs> and thank you for that, Stephanie. And, you know, and I, don't, I don't use that statistic to boast in any way. I use that statistic because there's a guy who's hurting. And there's a guy who's suffering. And that's how much I was suffering. But I, I want to let you know that from that depth of addiction, that right now in my life, um, I don't think about it much. It doesn't own me. It doesn't, it's not a, uh, you know, it's not this ominous cloud looming over my head ready to rain on me any minute. I don't think about it much at all. So I'm actually... Um, I've healed my past and healed my body from addiction. And there are two sciences, uh, epigenetics and neuroplasticity, that indicate that you can do that. So what's going on out there is that, hey, humans are evolving. That's a fact, right? Mm -hmm. Science is progressing. That's right. a fact. Right. Our last podcast was all about the microbiome. And we talked about how you're only one part you. One part of your DNA, only one part of Dean sitting here right across from me is actually Dean. Nine parts is viruses and bacteria that are your friend. There's a whole universe on your body keeping you alive. If you killed them off, you would die. Well, that's this whole antibacterial soaps and everything. We're actually uh, training bacteria to be stronger and more aggressive and out of balance. And so... You're absolutely right. And, you know, here's here's something that becomes really important for people to understand this body-mind connection. And for your listeners, again, you may not have an alcohol addiction or know somebody, but if we're depressed or we're anxious or we've got stuff going on, um, the way we think in our belief system is of paramount importance to how we can recover and get well. And right. the science that points to that is uh, known as the placebo. Right. And so all this science, you know, placebo works about 35% of the time. So what a placebo is, is a, some inert substance that a person will take and they think it's a real substance. And so 35% of the time, that person will get better and this is across diseases, Stephanie. This is not like a cold. Oh, I know. This is, yeah. you know, you have a tumor sticking out of your neck. If you believe this thing is the miracle cure, 
35% of the time, that tumor is going to go away on its own. Right, without anything, without any actual real intervention. Without any real intervention. That's the power. Well, that is a real intervention. Well, that's, that is the supreme intervention yes. because that is the power of our own thoughts and consciousness on our body. Well, that's your natural uh, pharmacy because all your enzymes, every thought you have, you release an enzyme, you know? Um, and your receptor cells line up with those enzymes, whether they're going to uptake, you know, if you have a, a constant angst, your body gets used to constant angst. And if you don't have angst, it's not used to it. And you actually, you just said a mouthful there, we get addicted to whatever our, our most uh, common state of mind is. So anger is a good example of exactly what you just said. And if you ask most people out there listening, go ask your friends, hey, do you like being angry? People will say, of course I don't like being angry. Well, when we don't have those angry chemicals of adrenaline, cortisol, and all those things, and when we're used to them, our body is starved them. They say, hey, Stephanie, where's, where is that? And don't you know we'll go out and create some situation to, to produce the very anger that we're looking for. Right, silly things that make you angst that really have no reason to upset you upset you because you're craving that feeling it's um a hundred percent true and if anybody uh i know i i mean i've just i work on that often thinking about my own personal things that i'm addicted to and the reasons i justify those addictions um i think one of them is judgment like i thought i was pretty non-judgmental person and then you think about any time you see somebody in a situation you think Oh, well, if it, that was me, I would do it this way. That's a judgment on them, you know, and it was a pretty big little eye-opener to, to think about that about myself. But um, enough about me. Let's go on to, uh, we've defined addiction um, and how it's like pretty, pretty universal. Do you think that you could go through life without having an addiction to something? Because <laughs> it seems to me that... We all have have something that it's our go-to for angst or, or a perception yeah. of angst. That... I, I, I understand where you're going. Um, I think we've, we've defined addiction the way that uh, the addiction paradigm in the addiction industry classifies. It's an incurable brain disease. Actually, addiction um, is just another way of not being present. Well, so it's yeah. this distress. So something's going wrong. I don't feel well. Uh, again, this is unconscious. There's something going on in my unconscious that's creating this ang angst or this. Somehow I have to change the way I feel. Right. And if you've stood in line at Starbucks for more than two or three people deep and you're standing in that line, you're, you're, you're going to buy something that's going to make you feel a little peppier. So something's going to change the way you feel. So it's... Again, when, when more and more uh, people are looking to change their states and, you know, Stephanie, underneath all that is this ill at ease feeling that's going on in our culture, in our society. When are we going to look at that? Because that's part of addiction. Right. We look at it, we try to break everything down as the individual. This person has this brain chemical problem and therefore they fit the addiction box and then they're going to fit in the re this addiction treatment box. And that's not true. People are as varied as the day is long, and we have different. Thank God, yeah. Yeah, you know, we have different ways of checking out. 
and checking out means, hey, I'm too stressed. I am in a relationship that I don't feel like dealing with. So rather than spend time with my wife, I watch TV and have a couple of cocktails when I get home. I'm functional, but there's something in my life I'm not looking at. And so an addiction will kind of give us this great distraction. Down deep, you know, Stephanie, what we look at an addiction is the greatest wake-up call that a person can have. Because in people's lives, uh, many people are so are, can rationalize away uh, being less than they could be. And so they, they'll stay in jobs that they know they should have left long ago, but they say, you know, I'm going to retire in a few years, so I might as well just stay. I'm going to retire, they know, so, so I can rationalize being less than and going for the career of my dreams rather than safety. Uh, people stay in relationships that are no longer satisfying, that they should have left long ago. They'd be doing each other a favor, actually, by doing so, but neither has the courage, so they say, oh, we're staying together for the kids. And again, another rationalization that I don't have to take the risk of change. The great thing about an addiction, particularly a debilitating addiction like substance or alcohol or prescription drugs, is that it's coming for you. And there's only a couple of possibilities of an outcome for a strong addiction. And one is that, hey, it's going to overtake you eventually and devastate different areas of your life um, in whatever order it chooses to until we get sick and eventually die before our time. Another possibility is that we, um, you know, we just somehow get in this maintenance drinking thing and somehow, again, live a life less than we could but never really step into any recovery but somehow get by. Um, then there are people that step into recovery, that stay on this recovery cycle their whole life. And then there are people that can actually use an addiction and transcend it to get to a whole higher order in their life. So instead of thinking of as an addiction as an angst, uh, 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 you know, Achilles heel, you're saying like looking at addiction as alarm bell, like, hey, this is your wake-up call. Yay, time to get busy with your life. I mean, that's, I mean, that's a simplified... It's um, on a soul level, that's exactly what's happening. And, you know, this is where we have to get back to matters of the soul because this is where love is. This is where creativity. This is where community. This is where family. Right. This is where... All those are matters right. of the soul, and a lot of times when people don't understand the soul, they might interchange the word heart and soul. You know, there's even a song, famous song, Heart and Soul. And, you know, there's so much, uh, if you Google Heart Math Institute, there's so much technology now mm -hmm. with the heart and the information in the heart that um, th this is, addiction is a matter of the heart and soul, and we have to get back to that in order to recover and be well. I love that example like the idea of that if we let people know your your addiction your angst is just a, a lesson for you to learn something and move forward that's people come to the sanctuary and i can tell you without fail everybody has a pretty big diagnosis they come in you know we're the last stop for a lot of people and they come in they got these big problems and without fail they stop talking about those big problems within a week or two because that's not the problem. That's just a symptom of the problem. And then they get down to the real problem, which is ultimately how they feel about themselves and how they feel about the world around them. 
And I can tell you, Stephanie, that not too many people really know on a deep core level how they feel about themselves or how they feel about the world around them. That is true, because sometimes it's not so pretty to look in the mirror. Yeah. But you get a lot out of it. So, Well, thank you so much, Dean, for your time. And I so appreciate your interview. And I, I really hope that um, this interview really helps our listeners really think differently about addiction and think differently about their approach to, to fixing it or basically identifying things that might be considered an addiction in their life. Nice. Thank you so much, Stephanie. You're awesome, Dean. You too. Bye.